Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. Hey everybody, everybody, hey Betty, and welcome to another episode of Carnivorous Couch, the hey buddy. film podcast where we do a film a week from two film geeks. You've got Rob uh, and Brady. And Brady. And we did Michael Clayton this week. We did. This is a spoiler full podcast, buddy. Spoiler full, but you know, that's okay because this movie starts with a lot of spoilers, right? It's, it begins at the end, sort of. Well, find out very it, early. It is very clearly a, uh, a neo-noir. It is. So, and thank you for saying that because I would have had to ask you that. Because mm-hmm. I am... Rob is Mr. Noir, Rob. That's true. I right? love noir, yes. You probably <laughs> deserve some kind of, like, noir honorary from the global noir society. Maybe. Maybe. Um... Here, I need to step over there for a second. So why don't okay. you do a uh, 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 plot synopsis? I can do that. And I'll jump in a little bit because I wrote down every scene I tried. Okay. Um, so this is a New York City set movie uh, set in present day. The uh, movie came out in 2007. So it's from the aughts. Uh, even though right off the bat, what this movie evokes most in its tone is the 70s techno thrillers. You think of your Robert Redford movies like... Uh, Three Days of the Condor, The Parallax View. And it was so produced by Sidney Pollack, so that makes a lot of sense. It was, yeah. And Sidney Pollack uh, acts in it very well, I would add. Uh, Indeed. He passed away, what, about five years ago? Yeah, it's. I think it's pretty recently. Post, uh, uh, before COVID. But, yeah, um, before COVID. But pretty recently. Like him and Tony Scott went around the same time. Yeah, oh, Tony Scott, that was a tragic one. That was a devastating one. Very yeah. much so, very much so. Uh, so, we take place, <laughs> we start our movie in New York City in the aughts, uh, and a very frantic Arthur Edens, played by Tom Wilkinson, is giving a big speech. He's actually giving it in the jailhouse to Michael, where he's been arrested for disrobing at a deposition. Oh, at this uh, point, I just have him written down as crazy guy. Opens with the voice hour of someone talking to Michael Clayton and saying he's not crazy, but he emerged from an organism. Sounds like madness to me. Yeah, correct. And he's, he's giving this big awakening of conscience monologue about feeling dirty, coated in like an afterbirth, uh, because he is the star lawyer of, I'm forgetting the name of the law firm, <laughs> but he is their star lawyer. He's representing a big chemical company called U-North. Yeah, and I just call it The Firm the yeah, entire time. The Firm. The Firm. And as he's giving this speech, which we'll loop back to, many moments in Michael Clayton we loop back to, um, we're not seeing him in the jail. We're seeing the uh, goings-on of the firm itself. And they're up there on this night, which is kind of far along in our story, uh, hashing out a settlement. So everyone's up there and... Uh, Marty Bach, the owner of the firm, played by Sidney Pollack, uh, gets a call from a Wall Street Journal reporter who's like, come on, tell me what's going on up there. He's like, I'm not saying anything. If you're calling me, you're hunting for a story or you're being forced to issue a retraction. Yeah, basically, fuck off. Yeah, fuck off. And yeah, so they're up there doing this big settlement. And Michael Clayton, 
the firm's fixer, the titular Michael Clayton, by, played by George Clooney, is at a poker game. He's tried to stay away from the habit of gambling, but uh, for whatever reason, he's he's having a little poker fun. He's had a little relapse or just felt he needed to play a game of cards. And he walks up after only nine hands onto the street, and he looks at his cell phone, and someone's calling him from the firm with some basic fixer bullshit. In this case, it's a rich Westchester New Yorker who represents 20% of the firm's business. Yeah, and on the gambling note, I think he just likes it. That's his release, man. Sometimes he needs to take a break. I know, but I'm saying that's like his addiction. We kind of find out that that's like, ooh, that's the thing I, I'm supposed to stay away from. Yeah. Um, oh, we also find out that Michael recently lost a lot of money in a bad business deal with his junkie brother, or his alcoholic brother, and so they're estranged. But Michael gets a call to go to Westchester because this rich client has hit someone with his car, with his Jaguar. And uh, it's a fantastic scene with uh, character actor Dennis O'Hare. And basically, this guy is just kind of... One review at the time pointed out that I liked that it's basically just like he's drenched in flop sweat. It's just this angry, entitled guy who's like, there's got to be something you can do. Like, I need to get away with this. And Michael just looks exhausted. He's like, no, you're not going to get away with it. Uh, you fled the scene of a hit and run. Cops like hit and runs because they can take care of them very easily. You know, they clear them quickly. And what we're seeing is kind of Michael's exhaustion with his role as a fixer. Like, we're seeing a man who kind of just can do this no longer. And so he walks away from that meeting. Hold on, uh, you're cutting out. Oh, no. Yeah, that's a nine. You shouldn't, she shouldn't cut out. What if we put you here? He, and he leaves the client uh, very dissatisfied. And he goes off for a drive in the hills of upstate New York. And all of a sudden, he quickly pulls his car to the side of the road. He sees something. And he walks up a hillside and sees some horses which will take on significance later that uh, a horse appears in the book of his son. His son's been trying to get him to read this fantasy book, which does a lot of symbolic lifting for the movie about being called to a a vision and being, you know, being summoned to a a greater purpose. Uh, But the fact that he sees these horses and responds saves his life because while he's up there touching the horses, his car explodes. Boom! It is this time that we flash back Four days into the past, uh, this is around the time that we kind of get to know U North. U North is represented by their general counsel, uh, a woman played uh, named Karen. A woman named Karen, played very well by Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton won her Oscar for this. Oh, uh, really? Uh, yeah. At the time, it was, was seen it supporting as supporting or uh, supporting. Yeah. And you know, it was seen as a little controversial because she beat Kate Blanchett for Bob Dylan, which is a very good performance. But uh, I'm quite fond of this performance as well, so I, I actually like that Tilda Swinton has an Oscar for a good role. But, so, we meet Karen, and she's doing this, uh, what would you call it, it's just like the interview for the corporate website, right? It's her kind of giving an interview on who she is, because she's stepping into the shoes of her successor, Don Jeffries, who's her mentor. And... We get the sense that, you know, she's stepping into this high-powered position where not a lot of women are allowed to make it. And so there's an enormous amount of pressure on her. And uh, that pressure is what will be her undoing in the end because she 
just feels compelled to like keep a tight lid on everything. Well, also this at this point. But we cut back and oh. forth though to her giving the speech in the bathroom, trying to figure out what she's going to say. Right. And it is at that point, I believe, that someone walks in and interrupts the interview to say that Tom Wilkinson's character, Arthur, has disrobed in the middle of a deposition. Yeah, and at this point, it's not really clear to us exactly who she is. Um, yeah, we be, because we figure that out later. But at, at this point, I was like, "Is this a client? Is this a person who works at the firm? Is this like it wasn't clear to me, right?" But see, what's good about that scene then is it's it's good exposition that's not just expositing because she's given a little speech about like, "Oh, well, I'm so and so, and this is this is the guy who used to be in this position, so now I'm I'm coming in as the counsel now." Uh, and yeah, I, I love exposition that finds a way to have other reasons to exist other than to just spit information at us. And in this case, I think the reason for it existing is to see the pressure on her because when we cross cut between her, you know, stressfully, stressedly rehearsing the, the interview in her bathroom, it's, uh, yeah, it just kind of shows how tightly screwed this character is. Uh, but so Michael as the fixer and it, Rob, you want to explain what a fixer is? That's like a key bit yeah, of business. Like Ray Donovan. And it's actually, like, it's like wait, Donovan. from now on, I think every time we say Michael, we have to say just Michael Clayton. We have Michael to say Clayton. both words. Michael Clayton is a fixer. I actually put a box around it. It's like, it seems like this guy's a fixer. And what is a fixer? I mean, well, in this case, uh, it's a little less fixer in the terms of like a Ray Donovan world fixer, like Ray Donovan will go like, kill the guy and burn the house down. Right, this right? is a, legal, a law firm's fixer. Well, they have other fixers like that as we'll soon find uh, out. Uh, yeah, um, yeah but, Karen calls But fixers. essentially he's the guy who can like come in quickly. He's a Winston Wolf type. He's, uh, you know, from Pulp Fiction. Very good. Like yeah. he's a, um, he's a Love Winston. person who can uh, come in, quickly assess like what needs to happen, knows what the resources and tools are at the ready and take care of it. Yeah. Or as Arthur more derogatorily puts it, he's a janitor. <laughs> yeah. And he spills. And in this case, there's a big spill that's happened with Arthur taking his clothes off. Uh, Arthur, for whatever reason, listening to one of the plaintiffs in this 400-person class action lawsuit invo involving a weed killer, uh, suddenly this person just shakes his humanity up. And suddenly he's, he's broken out of his trance of just do your job well, you're a lawyer, your only job is to represent the client. And uh, he switches, he defects to the other side. What we find out is he's trying to make the uh, plaintiff's case for them. And Obviously, his firm is trying to rein him in, and he goes on the lamb. Michael gets him for a second, you know, sedates him, puts him in a hotel room. They're going to bring him back, but he hides in a bathroom, locks the door, and flees. Yeah, so Michael Clayton has to break down the door to he find does. out that he's left. And we're sitting here wondering, oh, did he kill himself in there, or what's going on? Uh, yeah, because he's, he's a very unstable presence. You know, he's got, he's got uh, kind of like uh, a spectrum bent to him. He's very motor mouth. Right, right. And he, he jumps from like idea to idea. But he's the best mind, best legal mind in the game. And it, in a very funny line discussing, well, what we need to do is get him psychiatrically committed 
And they're like, Michael, like, who, who do we get that... Uh, yeah, who do we ask? Um, he would he be the is. guy. He, he would, is the expert. Yeah, he would be the expert on who you ask uh, to, you know, and how you psych psychiatrically commit somebody. Arthur, ask Arthur. And the middle part of the movie is Michael trying to track Arthur down, which he eventually does. Um, and Karen... Uh, Basically having to make the hard choice, which she does herself. She does not involve her boss at all uh, to have Arthur killed. And in a very clever Hold on, I don't think way. we're hearing you right now. Oh, no. Um, now we are. Yeah, oh, of course. Let's remember what we were talking about. Uh, why I don't go from um, Arthur is uh, gone out the window. Yeah, okay, so... Arthur, in the morning, when Michael wakes up in the hotel room to take Arthur back to New York, he finds that the bathroom door is locked, the faucet's running, uh, and something's been written, something cryptic has been written on the wall, which I think the message is, try to pretend this is not just madness. And, and Arthur's fled. He's gone on the lam, and he ends up uh, like renting out a random flat in the heart of New York City in Times Square. Right, and Michael Clayton had to and break down the door to, to, to get in there and find any of this out. Actually, did. as the viewer, we were uncertain if he'd, like, killed himself or something. Right, because Arthur has been behaving erratically. In fact, his, his erratic uh, speech is what kicks off the movie with a bang. The first person we hear is Arthur. Uh, because, well, we'll talk about that. But, so... In the middle sections of the movie, Arthur's hiding out. We find out he's stolen U North's documents, as, which includes a study that shows that, okay, yeah, this product causes massive cancer, and he's going to blow the lid. He, he wants to help whoever the plaintiff's attorney is to make their case for them. Because he, like, fell in love with some... Well, at first I thought she was a Lithuanian farmer, but I guess she's a Minnesotan <laughs> farmer. I, <There> yeah. <laughs> Lithuanian models on his cock, I think. Oh, yes, he... He had a, a moment of revelation when he was getting a blowjob from a Lithuanian stripper. Uh, there, yeah. that's it, naturally. Is this the sum total of me? Two Lithuanian mouths on my cock. It's great, I love it. Uh, so, and so while Arthur is threatening to blow the lid off things, Michael is trying to find him, and eventually does, which leads to a, a confrontation that was one of our understudy scenes where uh, Arthur basically repeats what we already knew, which is, I'm an expert in psychiatric commitment. Like, if you think you're going to get me, uh, your first mistake was moving me out of Milwaukee, where there are much laxer standards. We're now in New York. I have no criminal record. And if I don't pose a danger to myself, then no dice. Then buddy. I guess you're just going to have to deal. You're just going to have to deal. Yeah, and, man. And the big rising action of the middle half of the movie is Karen has to make a, a cryptic phone call. And what that cryptic phone call involves is U-North's own version of fixers, which are corporate murderers. So if someone gets to be too much trouble, you have them whacked. And these guys, they're very interesting characters because they're not like mafioso type. They're kind of the most corporate people in the movie in a way. They're very polished. And they treat it just kind of as like any old job, uh, which leads to a very chilling, in my opinion, scene of Arthur getting killed, which is just like, they're doing it like you would take out the trash. They very methodically, you know, knock him out at his door. 
drag him into the bathroom. They kill him with a syringe. Uh, yeah, just very clinical. A chilling scene. Yeah, and you know that they're the killy kill kill guys because they've got slick back blonde hair. They do. 2007? Uh, they always have slick back blonde hair. They're like... It's like the guy who's the second henchman in uh, uh, Die Hard. Oh, sure, yeah. Always with the slick back blonde hair. Yeah, they, they look like IT guys. It, it's like the boss. It's, it's like the boss on level eight of any video <laughs> game. <laughs> they look like IT guys, Rob. Like you. You probably know some of these guys. You son of a bitch. <laughs> you son of a bitch. I'm going to kill you for that. I'm not an IT guy yet. <laughs> um, and so around that time, uh, Michael's at a party with Henry when he finds out about Arthur's death. Uh, you know, we also get just some nice character moments of him and his brother and him and his son. So his brother's, you know, an alcoholic. Michael himself. Michael Clayton himself. Yes, yeah, Michael Clayton. Michael Clayton. Matt Damon. Michael Clayton. you got to say it the same way. <laughs> A hypnotizing chain of words. Uh, Michael has his own addiction, which is poker. And But what he says is that really... The biggest gamble he ever took was this restaurant that fell through. Or the bar. Oh, but that's yeah. the big thing. He's got to get the mob. I, I think it's the mob, right? They certainly act mob-like. It was unclear to me who that guy was. It he seemed... was the guy he went into business with. Okay. And then the restaurant fell through. Got it. Because we see them talking at the auction. They're selling off all the kitchenware. It's not going to be enough to cover the cost. Michael has a week to come up with like 80 grand. Uh, which he ends up begging Marty for. Uh, he eventually gets it with strings attached. There's always strings attached. There's always attached. strings attached when people give you money. Yeah, he's, he's going to have to agree to a three-year deal and a non-disclosure agreement with his firm. Um, and Marty's retiring, and <laughs> I, really, I really like this side character of, uh, what's his name? The guy. It's not Bob. I'm, uh, I'm making a face, which is excellent, Pod. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's basically Marty's like second in command, who just like pisses Michael off anytime he opens his mouth. Oh, okay. It's just very Michael like, Clayton. Michael Clayton. Um, he's an asshole, but he knows it. So Michael gets his money, but it's around this time with Arthur's death th- sinking in that Michael starts to have that awakening of conscience that Arthur was having. And he starts to kind of pull at the threads. He finds out that Arthur was going to meet with uh, Anna, the farmer, and that she's still here in the city. Um, and so and he goes to meet her. Yeah. <laughs> because Well, like, he, he talks to the sister based on the number from uh, Arthur, who, yep. has, who has since been suicided. Um yeah. yeah, and he's like, wait, she's here? Like, okay, I can go talk to her about what's going on. And then I forget what information she gives him, really. I think it's just the very fact that, like, wh- I think what it uh, makes him realize is there's no way that Arthur was suicidal. Like, he was still making big moves. He had big plans. Right, and he was planning on, on bringing this girl out. In fact, so much he paid $4,800 yeah. for the plane ticket because it was the last one. And it's kind of, so it's that, it's realizing that something suspicious is up and also having kind of the emotional awakening of his moral sensors, 
where it's like, oh, shoot, like maybe I should. Because then she's like, oh, he was crazy, right? And Michael doesn't really say anything this time. And he's like, oh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe crazy like a fox. Maybe crazy like a fox. Maybe I should have been listening to my friend who sometimes calls up my son in the middle of the night. Right. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, to be honest, he was trying to call Michael Clayton. Yeah, that's But he true. ended up calling Michael Clayton's son. But there, there was a comfort to their relationship that made me think, oh, maybe he's done this before. Cr- crazy Uncle Arthur. Uh, so Michael ends up going back to the scene of the crime, to Arthur's flat, where he was murdered. And uh, what does he... I'm trying to remember exactly what he finds there, but, I mean, basically, he... He find oh he finds the receipt. He finds the book that his the, that he, that he, finds the he book borrowed from his son. That his son's been stuff. asking him to read, uh, and I think he also figures out where Arthur has gone to a print shop to print out a bunch of right. bound books that contain the toxic report for you North, and he's going to disseminate them. And so now Michael's starting to pick up Arthur's Grail, and because he's doing that, and because Arthur is still. Uh, you know, the guys who murdered him are still kind of monitoring the scene. They come onto Michael now. Yes, Michael's now they're after Michael. In their crosshairs. And so when Michael's at his poker game, they're putting a bomb in his nav system, uh, which is, you know, it, th- this movie does that thing I like where details come back, but with new information. So the first, at the very beginning, we see Michael driving, and his nav system is kind of flickering. Right. He's kind of pounding at it, like, fucking, what's wrong? Yeah. Loose connection. Yeah, something. Yeah, and, that, and now we know there's a bomb in it. And so... Or, I, or he's just got, like, an early model Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everything flickers. You tell me which is worse. Uh, so, so, yeah, and this brings us back to the present day. Michael's car goes kaboom, but his conscience saves him, his... These horses he has to go look at. That's the only reason he survives the corporate hit attempt. And so what does he do? He goes back to town. Uh, It's a chance for him to make good with his alcoholic brother. Uh, He's got his other brother who is a police officer. Uh, Because they seem to be this big family of, like, people who are in law enforcement. And Michael's the one who, you know, initially aspired to the, the more, like, you know the attorney job he's the one that made good except the only problem is like we see that his ambitions have kind of fallen he started out as an assistant uh, an assistant district attorney he right and they won't put, put him on a litigating team anymore yeah he was try- going after organized crime and at some point in his career he found out that what he was really good at was fixing problems and so now he's kind of doing this this work that's lower so what does he do he goes back to town he asks his cop brother to come along with him, and he finds Karen at the settlement conference, and it, which seems to be in like a convention center of some kind. And okay, Karen. Karen, you Jesus, try to kill Karen. me? Why would you try to kill me, Karen? <laughs> oh, Karen, they were never gonna find it. We love a uh, Ray Liotta in this. Yes, house. we do. Yes, we do. And um, yeah, he he rope dopes her. He gets her to confess or to let on that uh, she paid money to have people killed because he's like he's playing the role of like still morally compromised so he's like right, that's he's ridiculous like, why didn't you give bring, me 10 give me million money? dollars yeah you tried to kill me yeah I'm just like a lowly I'm the grunt. guy you buy off buy, buy me off and he's got a cell phone in his pocket so he records it also though I don't quite buy it right 
I don't think that uh, that she actually implicated herself. If you really listen to it, like he says all the things, and she cops to the fact that she knows about them, but she doesn't say that she did anything or tried to have him killed or anything like that. I hear you, because it's like, I think in the real world you need to be uh, pretty clear. Also, we left out the part where they blow up the car and he throws his cell phone and his wallet and his watch and yes. stuff and that. I'm like, I'm pretty sure without some char-char bones um, <laughs> that they're not going to be like, he's dead. <laughs> of course he's dead. Look, it's a wallet. He's got his cards in it. Sorry, I just had to take a second. If he was alive, he'd need that. In the middle. In the middle there. Um, but... But, you know, plot, plot, uh, Karen takes the hit, she's going down, and Michael, finally, having done a good thing, having really taken a stand for the first time in years, he goes down and he hops in a cab, and he gives him 50 bucks, and he's like, where to? He's like, just drive. Just drive, man. Just, just drive, drive, man. And I'm, then I'm that's weird. the ending, which that's is a it. very 70s ending, like that yeah. post-noir period. Yeah, because the credits play over... Over Michael Clayton just riding in the cab, kind of lost in his thoughts. It's a lot like the ending to Broken Flowers. It's also very uh, similar, right? Where he's just sitting there and the cars are driving by and he's like, that could be much. That could be much. Yeah, even though Broken Flowers has a little gut punchy to black because you're like, what's, what's going to happen? And he's just looking and then it's like, oh, he never finds him. Anyway, yeah, but a, se- a 70s movie ending where they don't really resolve anything. Right. Um,. I mean, I think like it is theoretically, resolved. the cops are gonna arrest Karen and and have walked in and taken over the building. But you know, we also know how cases apparently go, and that's kind of the job of the entire firm. That's yeah, so. that's possible. Even though I don't read this one as super unambiguous, mm. I think we're meant to think like okay. I think it's just like super unambiguous or super ambiguous. I think we're just like spending a moment with this guy of like finally breathing, where it's like okay. Okay, but well, we have to do a thing. We do have to do a thing. We have to do the, 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 this thing. Hey, 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 how do we like it? Hey, Brady. So how did you like it? Uh, I love this movie. I, I, you know, another chance for me to preach the gospel of 07. Uh, little by little, we're hitting all the 07 movies. Let's count. We've done this. We've done Ratatouille. Recently did No Country for Your Old Men and There Will Be Blood. That's uh, true. Eventually, we we're just going to do all them 07. Because I love it. was me. a good 07. year. Yeah. It was a good year. Uh, had fun at the movies. I, um, yeah, <laughs> I had fun at the movies. Um, I always do. Uh, you know, I, I love it because I feel like I do this one a lot. But, you know, when the shoe fits, uh, it's one of those examples beyond just, like, liking its themes and everything. Uh, one of those examples of a film where I think like every element is kind of richly in place. I think uh, it's got a really nice James Newton Howard score. Uh, I love the script. It's a nice like corker of a script that kind of reminds us like what's enjoyable about a really good like corporate espionage thriller or whatever you want to call it, techno thriller. And those great films from the 70s, which I actually think this is better than... I like this better than Three Days of the Condor because it's got, I guess it's just got like a wealth of knowledge to play with by virtue of, of a having a film like Three Days of the Condor to look back on and just like, you know, developments in, in film history. Because this feels like such a sophisticated and writerly version of that. Uh, I think the acting is fantastic. I don't think 
Clooney has ever been better than he is in this. Uh, Tilda Swinton. It wins Tilda Swinton an Oscar. I, like I said, I think she's fantastic. Uh, I really like the complexity of her character. See, I love that, too. I love a piece with an antagonist that is, like, relatable. She does awful things, but we're always reminded in, like, very cool and sometimes very subtle ways of, like, the claustrophobic strangling pressure that Karen is under. And just, like, the fact that her boss is always hovering over her, this, like, hulking kind of, like, big guy... And this woman, Zeus-like figure. Yeah, this Zeus-like figure. And oh, and her panic when she finally gets caught, and her boss's voice is like, "Karen, what's going on?" And she's like, "Like you feel for her." It's like, "Oh my god, being in a corporate oh, world." Oh, jeez, Karen. Cor- it just it gets what sucks about corporatism very, very well, in my opinion. Um, okay, so what's your letter grade? An A. I, I love it. It's it's just it's a, a treat to watch. It really moves. Uh, I just like every element of it. It's uh, smartly put together. Well, you're probably not going to like what I have to say. <laughs> Go on. I mean, I don't dislike it. It's not bad, but I didn't find it to be all that good. Uh, it's a little bit of a slow mover, and <laughs> the disjointed, like, noir, like, out of, you know, choppy chop chop, scene scene storytelling kind of didn't work for it in the way of holding my interest. Okay. So I'm going to go with like a C plus. Ooh, hey, that's okay. That's not um, too bad. Like would you believe me if I said that it uh, moves better on rewatches? Oh, I'm sure it does. Once you know what's going on, it moves better. But since it was my right. first time seeing it, it's like, what the heck is going on? I think they need to give me a little bit more. I mean, I did like all the little touches of noir. Like they use the Dutch angles. They use the lighting. They use, uh, you know, flashback storytelling. They use... Um, you know, all sorts of those yeah, and little I, tropes. Well, I, and I like that the flashback, you know, when we come back a second time, like, I like the editing of it, that it, you know, new meanings. If we, if we you know, if you're going to chop stuff up uh, in Yari 2, I'm looking at you, there should be a purpose for it, because he does that in uh, 21 Grams, and it, it doesn't have much purpose. And you're like, why? Why'd you why? do it, bro? Like Tarantino... Yeah knows how to do it in Pulp Fiction because there's a reason that we get the information when we get the information, right? Right. Um, and, and I think this movie does that as well. Because we have to, like, realize... Because at the time when we see Michael in the present day, he's had his awakening of conscience. But in the first look through, there's nothing yet to indicate. Well, there's little hints of it. Well, let's put it this way. There's a lot of things I like about this movie. Just the movie as a whole, I was like, ah, it could have been different. Well, that is true. <laughs> now, I don't know exactly what to say about what I would have liked it to have done. I, I don't know. It's a good uh, Sunday afternoon movie. Maybe not a good, like, sit down and watch on a Friday at the theater movie for me. Okay. I uh, mean, But I do have some things I did like about it, but we should talk about them after understudy. Uh, yeah, you're right. Um, are you ready to do understudy? I'm ready. Okay. Cool. Do you want to be the first person or the second person? I will be the first person. Oh, really? Okay. Um, here we go with the understudy. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors. To do the scene from this screenplay But we've got two understudies And to be honest 
They're probably more famous anyway So try to catch the actors Try to guess the movies Tweet us at C-A-R-N-Y Couch This game called Understudy Is happening, happening, happening Right now Any chance Kendrick ignored the order? Ignored the order? Any chance he just uh, forgot about it? No Any chance Kendrick left your office and said, uh, wow, the old man's wrong. No. When Kendrick spoke to the platoon and ordered them not to touch Santiago, any chance they ignored him? Have you ever spent time in an infantry unit, son? No, sir. Ever served in a forward area? No, sir. Ever put your life in another man's hands and asked him to put his life in yours? Mm, No, sir. We follow orders, uh, we follow orders and people die, it's, uh, it's that simple, uh, yes. Uh, yes, sir. Are we clear? Crystal, uh, Colonel, uh, wow, I, I have just one more question before I call Airman O'Malley and Airman, uh, Perez. If you gave an order that Santiago wasn't to be touched, and your orders are always followed, then... Why would he be in danger? Why would it be necessary to transfer him off the base? Private Santiago was a substandard Marine. He was being transferred off the base because... Oh, but that's not what you said. You said he was being transferred because uh, he was in grave danger. Yeah, that's correct. You said he was in danger. I said grave danger. You said... uh... Yes, I recall what... I can have the court reporter read back here. I know what I said, son. Uh, I, I don't need it. Uh, I don't need you to read me back to me because uh, I'm not like a child. And then why the two orders? Colonel, why did you... Sometimes we take matters into our own hands. No, sir. You made it clear just a moment ago that your men never take matters into their own hands. Your men follow orders or people die. So Santiago shouldn't have been in danger at all. Should he have, Colonel? You little bastard. Your Honor, Your Honor, I have to ask her for her recess. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. The court will wait for an answer. If Kendrick told his men that Santiago wasn't to be touched, then why did he have to be transferred, Object! Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Kendrick to do. Object! Counsel! And when it went bad, you cut these guys loose. Your Honor... That'll be all, Colonel. You had Markinson sign a phony transfer order. Judge, you have doctored the log books. I, I'll ask for the fourth time. You ordered. So, you want answers? I think I'm entitled to them. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Maybe not. Maybe not. Got a point, wow. That was Undecided. Tweet us your answer at C A R N Y Couch. Oh, that was a fun one of Undersudy, and I promised people I was not trying to do a Jimmy Stewart's. It, they just always come out that way. I was hoping if I stuck something in the corner of my mouth, I could carry that one across. That's a hint for you that all. That was Cheech Marin. <laughs> I don't know. It just came out. It came out, Jimmy Shaw. Uh, so, uh, I believe a question is. What's it? 
all about. What's it all about? So, like, it's about, um, it's about, uh, it's funny, because as I say this, I'm, like, wondering, uh, I think Michael Mann could have a really interesting <laughs> version of this movie, because it's for sure about Michael Mann's favorite subject, which is doing a job. Okay, Michael Mann I'm okay with. Michael Schumacher should be making shoes, not movies. <laughs> Joel Schumacher, actually. Joel Schumacher. Oh, my, we went to school We went to school with Michael, with Michael Schumacher. Michael like, Schumacher, wow, you're okay. Call you're okay. him out. He's like, I, I wasn't trying to make movies. <laughs> like, yeah, you shouldn't. Michael. Are you making shoes? <laughs> yeah, no, Joel uh, Schumacher. That's who I'm thinking of. Uh, yeah, Joel, Joel Schumacher, who apparently is a very nice guy, but yeah... Uh, not my favorite filmmaker. He made those bad Batman. He made a weird one with uh, Sandra Bullock, and there's some birds on the front of it or something like that. Which one is that? I don't know. It came out right after 28 Days Later, uh, 28 Days, uh, which was the Sandra Bullock movie. And it was like, there's something where like there was a, somebody who was killed, and she had a premonition. Mm. Oh, oh, it's, it's premonition. premonition. <laughs> <laughs> well, that must be a well-titled movie. <laughs> Exactly. We could find our way back to it. We figured it it out. Um, Yeah, so... Oh, yeah, what was I saying? It's about um, certainly, like, doing a job and finding a way to find humanity in your job and not just, you know, keep your head down and not be a person. Because that's Michael's problem. Michael Clayton's problem is he started his career wanting to do good, and now he's, as Arthur says, just a janitor. Um, but what I really think it's about on a more meta level is um, I think this is like the perfect George Clooney movie in terms of like bridging what he's good at as an actor, his best traits, and who he is as kind of a public person. Because George Clooney, a very civic-minded guy, he's a very, you know, act on your You conscience. mean Michael Clayton. My, my, no, now I'm talking about George Clooney. Okay, as long as you use who, both of his names, who is too. My, who is also Michael Clayton. No, because this is one of those movies, uh, and I do think this is Clooney's best performance, where um, a little bit of knowledge about the actor and kind of familiarity with their star persona uh, does a lot of lifting because Clooney's so good at this world-weary thing. And it's, you know, it's a movie you could imagine Clooney himself wanting to make because it's about waking yourself up out of apathy, about a guy who's apathetic slowly learning to give a damn, which is what makes it a, a great noir, in my opinion. It's, you know, a guy uh, who changes, a guy who is very world-weary and is suddenly, for reasons outside of himself, forced to kind of take an interest in something. And so, yeah, I, I think it's a fascinating merger of, uh, of star persona, you know, not just like fantastic acting, but I think it's really like George Clooney is an A-list movie star because he has this kind of essential charisma that only he can project. And I think this is a, an excellent fit for him that he can be both like world war weary and kind of sometimes, sometimes almost a bastard. Like he's a guy who has not made great decisions all the time in his life. Yeah, the gambling still, probably didn't help, especially yeah. since everybody didn't realize it was the restaurant that was causing him the money. They were just like, obviously, you just screwed up again, buddy. But but he's George Clooney, so he's also charming. So that, you know, I think it's it's just, yeah, a fascinating way to, um, to bring us into the character by having Clooney play it because of the things he is so innately good at. 
And so, yeah, I think, I think it's about that. But it's, it's about conscience. It's a movie about uh, waking up your conscience. Well, I'm going to take a different tack, Brady. I'm going to say that this is about mm. what he told his son oh. in the car. Okay. When he was basic, I, I, I think it's about uh, redemption, kind of. I hear uh, that. Essentially, what he's doing and the work that he's doing and his willingness to uh, kind of set aside the firm and the meal ticket and this and that when he realizes also that these people really don't care about him and aren't, like, they're going to sell the firm or, or get rid of the firm and he's going to be out on his ass and whatever, whoever's mm -hmm. left, you know, they'll just kind of look at him and be like, what do you do again? And the janitor, here's a mop, like, <laughs> right. you know. Uh, 12 bucks an hour, right? Um, <laughs> Indeed. But um, what he says to, it, it's about, he's trying to like redeem the future generation. He says to his son, like, um, this, your brother, and, you know, Arthur, and these people, and... Oh, yeah, his the, uncle. Yeah, the world, well, Arthur, because Arthur's on the phone with him. And obviously, Arthur has a relationship oh, no, of some sort with Oh, no, but you said your brother. Um, oh, yeah, Michael Clayton's brother. Right. Um, that he's like, you're not going to be in this situation. You're not going to be looking up, like, wondering why the world keeps throwing shit on you. Right. Um, like, I am going to go through whatever I have to go through to redeem everything for you so you can have a fresh start. Right, but in that scene, he's also seeing something in his son that he would more like to be. And, you know, they're talking about the uncle character who's, like, clearly had, like, huge problems he's uh you know we're led to assume the reason the business went under he's an alcoholic but i think what i like in that scene is clooney kind of michael clayton rather uh seems to be kind of torn or like kind of between the uncle and the son i couldn't like, tell is the uncle the one who picks him up when he after he his is. car blows up yeah it's a nice quick way to like redeem the character oh you well, can be of service yeah. this way <laughs> all right we can talk now you can pick you're, me you're up. back in meetings yes okay be of service motherfucker <laughs> you got four tires on this car all right give them to <laughs> but so it's clearly in that scene which I, I think is a tremendous scene telling his son like you're strong like don't worry you're not gonna be like him and i think the subtext is that Michael Clayton, while maybe not as bad as his alcoholic brother, is like, shit, I'm more like that guy, aren't I? And like, because and what's the act that really like symbolizes him finally turning for good? It's reading his son's book finally, which is something yeah. like, you should read this book. Yeah, you should read this book. You're not going to read it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's definitely something to be said for uh, believing. If you already believe it, it's the freaking what... Um, Calvinist predetermination theory, right? Like, if you already believe oh. that you will be good and that the world will be good to you, then it will be. Ah, interesting. And, like, you know, I mean, it's not entirely that. I don't think it's trying to be religious. I'm just saying that that's like, it's oh, a, yeah. it's a can, common theological and, and philosophical application. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that. Uh, just redemption through the belief that you are already good and that you are going to get the world. I think that's what the movie's about is that like he was that. believing he was crappy and the janitor and the blah, 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 and once he stopped believing that he started being the other guy. Uh, yeah, because at a certain point there's a, there's a turn and, and Arthur's death I guess is what catalyzes it too. Right. I, and I mean there's a lot of uh, 
There's a lot of that in noir. So, like, I really do like how this uses the tropes of, of noir. Um, you know, the sort of loss of identity thing. Mm-hmm. Norals often show up, like, after wars, when the nation's going through a, hey, wait, who are we again? Uh, uh, yeah. Sort of situation. So this would be 2007, right? In the middle We're of... In Iraq. Yeah, yeah. We're in Iraq and all that stuff. Yep. So, um... Yeah, I'd also like to talk about some of... Well, I've, I've finished my What's It All About, so I guess we're just talking about... Well, uh, should we do another game and then... Uh, um, I don't know. Do you have, like, a natural idea that's kind of on the tip of your tongue? That, like I, I was just going to talk about certain little tidbits that I like, so we'll save that for later. Okay, uh, let's uh, go play a game. Then. Do you have something for the tip of your tongue? Uh, No, oh. no, I, I can go on at length about... What I like, but uh, we can go play a game. Metacritical. Rob's never gonna win. Metacritical. Brady's the victor again. So it's time to play. I'm gonna lose today. Metacritical. Yeah, it's time. Ah, yes, Metacritical, Metacritical, Metacritical. This is the game where we try to guess the Metacritic score of five movies. And then we see who's closest without going over. Oh, wait, no, you can go over. Just who's closest. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's not um, Price is Right or whatever. So I think you did the first movie last time, Brady, but I'm going to say that you should go ahead and do the first movie again this time. Okay. Generous. Let's jump uh, with Tom Wilkinson, who's had many fine, fine roles and fine, fine films. And let's go with Rush Hour. Rush Hour, you say? Okay, cool. Let me open a little window here where I can type Metacritic. Not Metacritical, Rob. Type Metacritic.com. And that should do a thing. Okay. Rush Hour, I think, is actually pretty highly rated by critics. I think they think it's fun and pretty good. So I would say that it should be an 82, but 82 minus 9, so 73. Okay. I don't think it's as highly rated. I'm going to say like a 55. What, what was your again? 70 73. 73. So we're just talking about the first one, right? The first one. What is it? Get filled to fish? <laughs> That's the second one. Oh, is it? I think so. Okay. Uh, the answer is 60. Because so the thing with two was people five. were famously like, it all sucks, but the bloopers are kind of good. That is true. Uh, because the last blooper is a guy falls off a building, and Chris Tucker says, he ain't going to be in Rush Hour 3. So 5 and 13? 5 and 13. Wow, you're already, uh, you're already up. But this will be an interesting one. Uh, Jackie Chan jumping off, so Jackie the killer. Chan. The killer. Is that a John Woo? No. Yes. It is John Okay. I believe so. Um, wait, is it the killer or the killers? Ooh, maybe we shouldn't do this one because I, if it's the killers, then it's going to come up with the Kubrick one and a bunch of... And, and also, it's True. probably too old and too Hong Kong for it to be in Metacritic. Okay, so let's, uh, let's do Rumble in the Bronx. Okay, Rumble in the Bronx. Rumble in the Bronx will probably be in Metacritic, and it'll be your guess first. Rumble in the Bronx, I don't know... I have no idea. Just it's like 1992 or 94. He won a Lifetime Achievement uh, Award from from uh, um, 
It must have been 95 or 96 then. From uh, MTV. Oh, for all his okay. stunt work. I'll go with a 65. 65, you say, eh? Um, I think it's higher. I think it's 72. So, let's see what we can do here. Remember, in the Bronx. Movie, 95, or 96, I was right, okay. Uh, 61. Okay. What did you say? I said 65. Damn it, you said I'm 72? on the wrong side of it then. Okay. okay. Uh, who else is in that again. movie, anyone? I don't know, I wasn't allowed to see it when it came out. I mean, <laughs> I did see it at some point, and... No, I can't think of who's in it. Uh, okay, Bronx, 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 Rumble. Uh, what, what year did that come out? 96? 96. 96. What else came out that year? The English Patient. Let's go to The English Patient. Oh, okay, I think that's fairly highly rated, but not as high as you'd think, because it was, it was uh, a, a sensation. Handsome, yes, a sensational, handsome, best picture winner. 88. That's a pretty good guess. Um, I'll go with an 85. Okay. The English patient. 87. I, I almost revised to 87 because I'm like, it's because you're not picking odd numbers that you're not going to hit a dead on bullseye. <laughs> But you made up a point on that one. I know, but that's... I'm, I'm way down. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> so what was that, three movies? That's three. All right. Uh, I think we've already done Chain Reaction, where Keanu Reeves and Morgan Freeman find Cold Fusion on, on, we have. on a previous one. So I can't do that. One remembers such a thing. Um, how about... Uh, I'm just thinking of Jodie Foster for no reason, so I'm going to go with Inside Man. Inside Man. Yes. You love that movie. Indeed. And so does Tess. And I also am I'm a tremendous uh, enjoyer of Inside Man. Uh, Inside Man, I think it's pretty well reviewed. It, it wasn't like ecstatically so, but it's kind of a grower. Uh, I'm going to go with a 75. All right. I think I'll make up 12. No. I'll make up 13 points by going 83. Okay. I think I'm dead on. Inside. Man. 76. Okay. What did you say again? Sorry. 83. 83. All right. You get to pick the last one and you're up a lot. Okay. Uh, Pick something with a wide berth where it could be zero and it could be a hundred. Okay. <laughs> if such a thing exists. I will intentionally pick one that I don't know the score to at all. Uh, Willem Dafoe is an inside man. He also received one of his Oscar nominations for playing, um, I think, like the guy who played Nosferatu. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the movie is called Shadow of the Vampire. Oh, yes. Wasn't. Uh, Johnny Depp in that too? 
Or am I thinking Ed Wood? I think that's Ed Wood. Yeah. Shadow of the Vampire. Okay. I think we can riggedy rock this roll with a 71. That seems pretty good. Uh, I'll go 67. Okay. Shadow of the Vampire. 71. Wow. Dead nuts on. What did you do? I did 67. Yeah, so I only made up 12. So I'm down like 11 or something like that. That's good though. Okay, yeah, I'll add them up. Uh, add them up, add them up, add them up. So I can do the thing that says, fuck you, Brady. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A pretty reasonably close game. Uh, you got a 27. I got 16. What did I say I was off by? Uh, you... I think I said 12. It was 11. You're off by 11. I was pretty good at keeping track. A Metacritical. I won again. Fuck you. Shucks. Ah, shucks. Okay. Well, let's talk about some stories. <laughs> or some scenes or particular... Oh, yeah. So you still got... The tip of your tongue? You still got that thing you want? I never to? had anything on the tip of my tongue. Oh, I, I no, I was just gonna talk about how I like. One of the things I liked was the switch in when he pulls off the road pensively mm. in the first scene before it touches four years later and the car blows up and this and that. Right. It almost looks like he's pulling off pensively, but we get a little more preamble the second time around, and he's like driving hard trying to get away from those guys, and it's frantic. Right. And it's not until he gets out of the car after, like, ditching them that he's, like, looking at the horses and being pensive. Uh, but, yes. But we miss those little bits, so it, it totally recharacterizes the scene. It gives him agency. Indeed. Whereas prior to, it was just kind of like, he's just doddering along, and, and, and he saw some horses, so he thought he'd pull off the side of the road, and he's lucky he didn't die. But, like, in, <laughs> in the revise... Uh, clearly, he didn't die because he knew what the hell he was doing. Yeah, he's, he's a smart cookie. Yeah. So I did like that little piece. Um, let me list some of the things that characterize noir, right? Oh, yeah. So um, interplay of light and darkness. Blurring of the lines between good and bad. Mm -hmm. uh, revenge, uh, paranoia, and alienation. Yeah. We're in Tammy. Check, check, check. Yep. Uh, Anti-heroes. Uh, yeah, I would yeah. say Michael is... Nihilis uh, nihilistic morality. Um, maybe less of that. I mean, nihilistic morality is kind of what he's beating back. No, but it I definitely think. comes from the Karen character. Oh, yeah. Like, there are characters... The Karen character and the head of the uh, firm both kind of have this sort of, like... It doesn't really matter. What matters is the firm and this, that, and, and your advancement, and you're moving your through. That, yeah. Um, story told in flashback. Yes. And... Dutch angles, which I was, which I had to start looking for because at the beginning they don't do that. But when he starts to kind of go into Arthur's headspace and realize that Arthur actually had something going and wasn't just being totally, I mean, he was being totally nuts, but he wasn't right. being uh, nuts for no reason. Mm -hmm. um, like they start touching the camera a bit. Like when he's going into his apartment and yeah. whatnot, reading documents. What is, what is all this? What's this document here? Yeah, oh, this is my son's book. So that's a couple things I liked. Ah, uh, cool. Yeah, My grade had a plus in it, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's important to keep that plus in mind. It is. 
Um, yeah, man. Uh, I'll say I really like the child performance in this. Yeah. Uh, Who is that kid? He looks familiar. I don't. I actually don't know offhand. I think uh, he did some TV or something. Yeah, he does look familiar. Uh, he's good. He's natural. This movie does something that I think more movies should do, which is, uh, even though it's like Clooney, like big, like megawattage star uh, in the lead role, it's just a lot of character actors, like the rest of the way down. And you know, at any time we watch Star Trek, and I see that a character actor's in it, I'm like, yes. Like I just put character actors in things. They're really good, and they'll make your like. Just, you know, kind of like less essential scenes pop more. And that's something I like about this movie is like I feel for me, uh, I know it didn't quite for you, but for me, the scenes in between the big scenes have a nice rhythm to them uh, because, yeah, the, the people reading the dialogue uh, add a lot of color to it. Uh, you know, including Sidney Pollack, who's more famous as a director than an actor, but I think he's really, really nice in this as Marty Bach. Quite right, quite right. Um, hmm, I don't have too much more. Uh, uh, and I love the ending, I, I love the ending. Uh, dig it, I dig it. 2007 was a year for really good, like creative endings. Yeah, I mean I did like like the pastiche of just him kind of sitting, no it wasn't a pastiche, um, the, what do you call it when it's a long shot and He's uh, just sitting there, and it's just on his face. Yeah, I guess it's just a long take. I mean, it, usually when we talk about long takes, there's a lot of motion that's like got a kinetic connotation to it. But this is just—it's just parked there in, in the back of the cab, looking at him, and uh, watching him emote. Uh, yeah, no, I, I like it because like it feels both noiry and like part of the kind of paranoid techno thriller at the same time, where it's just like. I'm gonna take a beat because I'm just so exhausted. Like I have, I have had to rethink my entire existence. I but know a lot about how that feels lately. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> I live in a new place. It's nice though. Uh, Rob and I are kind of, we're kind of in like uh, talk show mode right now because he's on a couch, I'm on a separate chair. We're facing each other. It's like a cozy sitting room. Now you're supposed to maintain the fact that we're always on the carnivorous couch that's holding us here. <laughs> Peeking behind the curtain here. What the hell, man? We what just the hell? Lost ben. <laughs> this show used to stand for something. <laughs> Chiefly a couch eating two guys. Now I don't even recognize you anymore. All right, so what do you want to do next week? Next week? Ooh. Let's see, I can always, I got my chronological project going, so I can always try to throw something in that aids me in that. Or, no, you know what, maybe I'll just throw out something from this year. That would be good. Wouldn't adjust. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to throw out the, the bandwagon again. But you go ahead. The band, what, what's the bandwagon? Isn't that the uh, murder musical? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, okay, I'm gonna, because I think it's coming up soon that I have to review it, so this would help me take care of that. Uh, Kill two birds with one stone, you exactly. selfish bastard. Uh, I'm gonna throw out the uh, lovely little Mike Mills dramedy from this year, Come On, Come On, starring Joaquin Phoenix and a uh, 
a truly a stellar child performance that should have won a bunch of awards, but it wasn't because the Oscars this year, they're just taking a dump. They suck. Bad Oscar year. Um, sorry, I'm done scolding Oscar for now. But yeah, uh, Come On, Come On by Mike Mills, who did 20th Century Women. I, I like the guy. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, okay, uh, let me think of something else we got here. Uh, and by think, I mean look at my dashboard of a bunch of movies I got and then go like, oh, how about that one? Um, you, you know, actually, okay. we never did Nevada Smith. We did not. So I'm going to put that one back in. Okay. Do you want to pick a third? A third? Uh, yeah, I'll throw out... Um, gosh, it feels like I'm piling on, but I'm... I'm Because we've done so much Coen Brothers, but I'm going to do the Coen Macbeth, the tragedy of Macbeth with Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. Okay. Um, we we love the Coens on this cast. All right. What were your three? Oh, I've suggested two. Oh, okay. Sorry, I, th- I thought I was telling you to put in. Come on, come on, and the tragedy of Macbeth. Wait, I did Bandwagon, Nevada Smith. Okay, I'm going to do a third. Oh. Sorry, I was just trying to, you know, pull up this library that I made stuff. With the things. Ooh. We did Rebecca, huh? Nope. We didn't? Mm-mm. Let's do Rebecca. Okay. That'd be a fun one. And then I Miss Danvers. Miss Danvers. Uh, I throw out one more. Let's go. Let's go working, girl. Hmm. Work it. That Meg girl. Ryan? Uh, no, it's... Julia uh, Roberts? No, no, what's, what's her name? Oh, my gosh. Melanie Griffith. Yeah, okay, I knew it was one of those. And Sigourney Weaver. And Harrison Ford. Um, okay, I'm going to go with Come On, Come On. Okay. For my choice of yours. What, what are you picking out of mine? I am going to pick the musical. Sweet. Yeah, what's it called? The Bandwagon? Yeah. Okay. I think. Uh, that, sounds, that sounds wild. It it is kind of like yeah, Boz Lerman, but 1953. Whoa! I think I don't know. I haven't seen too much of it. That's why I wanted to watch it. Okay, let's hope I win this one. Let's hope. I mean, I yeah. I, oh wait, in what sense <laughs> that I win? I hope you win. I I have bad news. You just don't look at my stats. Okay, evens or odds? Uh, odds. Odds. Okay, I'm gonna. Take we, evens. We throw it on the three? Yeah. Okay. One, two, three, shoot. Even. Evens. Oh, shit. So we're doing come on, come on. Okay. You it, you win <laughs> these shoot-offs um, at an alarming rate. I'm not sure how. I'm doing a look again, um, which is bad, <laughs> Pod. But I told you, so now it's a funny joke. Uh, yeah. You make it funny. All right. Anything else to say, Brady? No. um, Thank you all for listening to us talk about Michael Clayton. Uh, We really will do all of 2007 before all is said and done. Well, who was mentioned? Uh, Michael Schumacher. Michael Schumacher was mentioned. 
So. And Joel Schumacher, if you happen to be <laughs> friends with him. <laughs> well, um, anything else? Anybody else mention? Uh, no. No, I don't think so. Okay, Michael Schumacher, theme song. Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. Michael Schumacher should be making shoes, not movies. 